morning, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official Tennis Canada podcast. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, we're on to episode three. Rafael Nadal captured his first title of 2019 in Rome, beating Novak Djokovic in a seesaw three-set final. Ace queen Karolina Pliskova picked up her third career clay court crown, defeating Johanna Conta. And qualifying is now underway this week on the grounds at Roland Garros. And our special guest of the program, Canadian tennis player Rebecca Marino, is coming off her first ITF title of 2019 from Japan. Before we get to her, we will start, Mike, on the women's side with Karolina Pliskova, who picked up her 13th career title this past week in Rome and third on the clay court surface with a big, uh, big win over Joe Conta. Um, suffice to say, although she remains kind of under the radar, I think Pliskova is deserving of some praise uh, as a potential contender for Roland Garros. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a player that we've been talking about uh, recently, Ben. And, and for once, I guess we didn't jinx her because she went on to... Uh, finally have those results that we talked about her being capable of. And this is a former world number one, someone who's been in a Grand Slam final before. It's even funny that we say under the radar, I'm sure some people will shake their heads. But I think what we mean is on this surface, on clay, she's still not someone that really we had considered to be in that top echelon, but proving uh, you know herself capable. And even she admitted that it was quite a miracle after she, she got the big win. She's up to number two in the rankings right now. It's going to be huge for her confidence. And while I feel like the pool of contenders on the women's side is still much greater than on the men's side, it is somewhat narrow, narrowing Sorry, with some of the results I feel like we've been seeing lately. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly been narrowing for me. I think Simona Halep is certainly the odds-on favorite heading into the French on the women's side, but uh, we know the emergence of Kiki Burtons and what she's capable on the surface. Petra Kvitova, we've detailed her fantastic 2019 season. To me, she can be a a threat anywhere she plays. And and throw Karolina Pliskova into the mix um, as probably in my top four now. And it wasn't that long ago, 2017, that she was in the semifinals of the French Open, and she was also recently in the semifinals of Australia so I, I think she can compete on the big stage as well and and add to me you know some names I want to throw in there uh, as well that may be uh, perhaps outsiders I mean obviously Simona Halep is going to be considered I think still the favorite she, she had a short uh, clay court lead up but she made the finals in Madrid and then lost to a very in form of Andrzejewa now in in Rome uh, in a tight one so no shame in that uh, and then outside of the big names that you've kind of mentioned, uh, to me, uh, we still got to talk about, um, y- you know, Serena, Serena Williams and what she's capable of, uh, having won there three times before, 2002, 2013, and 2015. And, and despite the fact that she's had some injury issues lately, uh, I think someone that is always going to be uh, a threat, just given her stature in the game and the intimidation factor that she carries with her onto the court. Yeah, certainly. And I actually uh, peered into the odds right now heading into Roland Garros and Serena Williams. She hasn't played a clay event in 2019 and still she's listed 10 to 1 to win this tournament. So you can see betters take her seriously. Uh, I think the whole tour is going to take her very seriously every time she steps on court. And she's obviously reached reached that age where she's going to be, you know, I I know she's done this probably over the past four or five, six years, really pick her spots at events. And and unfortunately, she doesn't get the clay court lead up. 
but we we saw what she did at the Australian Open, still making a deep run. She had two finals last year. Uh, there's no reason Serena can't catch fire uh, and, and go deep at this event uh, again and, and potentially win it. We we just don't know. She is somehow the wild card yet again. And I think back to last year where she was breezing through her first few matches. We got excited for that match upcoming with Maria Sharapova. And, and then she had to withdraw from injury. So I really think the only thing that might let, let Serena down from a good result here is the body. Yeah, and as she approaches 38 years old, which, you know, for most athletes, they've already retired by then, and it's becoming increasingly apparent that it's, it's difficult for her to, uh, to be ready to play regularly, to be able to get through a tournament in its entirety. And it's really a shame because I'm, I'm super stoked to see what she can do if she's at 100% or close to it. And, and more and more, I'm wondering if that's even going to be possible, which is really uh, such a, a shame to see such a great player, such an all-time champion like Serena, Whenever she does call it quits, I want to see it happen on her own terms. Yes, uh, I think we all want that for her. I know she's chasing that record record of Margaret Court, the Grand Slam record. Uh, you know, probably the French isn't the surface, the place you would envision her her tying or maybe breaking that record in the future. You would maybe think Wimbledon or U.S. Open, something like that. But uh, if she is playing, if she's feeling good, there's no reason she can win off. Uh, win a round or, or several rounds of matches and go deep in this event. Obviously, a handful of other names to talk about. I think Sloane Stevens has had a bit of a topsy-turvy 2019. Probably she would admit that she hasn't played her best tennis yet, but she was also a French Open finalist uh, just last year. She won the U.S. Open in 2017. She's another player to me who is capable of turning it on for two weeks and beating anybody. Yeah, Sloan's on my list too, and, and she can let those losses slide so quickly, and uh, so I don't worry about her bouncing back from losing first round in Rome. I mean, she lost to Conta, who ended up having a phenomenal tournament, and it's great to see uh, the Brit having a, a bit of a resurgence after the last two years where she's been off of her game. But Sloan made the semis in Madrid, and, and like you said, uh, finals uh, at the French Open a year ago, so certainly capable of getting hot and, and going on a run. Uh, Victoria Azarenka, to me, is kind of like one of those dark horse candidates. She's back into the top 50 on the tour finally at number 44, and she's had some really brutal draws, but also some very strong results of late, beating uh, Muguruza, uh, Pliskova on clay, Alina Svitolina as well. So she's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Speaking of Svitolina, who is the defending champion in Rome, had won it both in 2017 and 18, uh, she flames out in the first round again. And ever since she played uh, Bianca Andreescu in the semis in Indian Wells, she's gone 0-3 on the tour. So clearly not finding her form and, and not someone who at this point I would consider in the contenders. But if you had talked to me at the start of the clay court swing, someone I would have said, let's keep our eye on her. Yeah, things have, have certainly changed in, in that respect. Um, and, and she's obviously dipped uh, in the rankings as a result. So it's it's interesting. My eyes also on Naomi Osaka holding that world number one ranking still and admittedly going into the clay court season, recognizing it is her weakest surface, a surface where she hadn't established that much comfort and she finally got a bit of match play and the results were mixed, but I, I think positive because she reached a quarterfinal in Madrid. Unfortunately, in Rome, she did have to retire out of her match with Kiki Burtons, but I think that was her kind of operating on on the safe side. So we'll have to see how she fares uh, heading into this Grand Slam. Uh, look, we, we've spoken to Canadian Bianca Andreescu a couple weeks ago on our premiere episode of Matchpoint Canada. She's had a lengthy training block uh, during her time off rehabbing that shoulder injury. And then we saw some video of her training at the Rafa Nadal Academy. 
to me, she might be one of those players no one wants to face in the early rounds because uh, Bianca has been off since March, but uh, she still had, if not the best season of 2019, certainly in the top three of the WTA best season so far. Yeah, anybody with a record of 31 wins and four losses is a player that you're not going to want to face, even though she hasn't played now in some time. Um, but I think she could have come back uh, a lot sooner as well. She mentioned to us a couple weeks ago on the show that what was expected to be an eight-week recovery turned into four and a half for her. So it seems to me that she's just been extra cautious about coming back and playing her best tennis and being absolutely in the right shape and form. And that's a good thing because I know that Bianca kind of had a tendency last year to push herself when maybe she needed a break. And here she is, I think, realizing that, uh, you know, to have a long-term career in this sport, you have to be able to pace yourself and know your body. So taking this time has been very prudent on her part. And, you know, she's also has the luxury of having such a hot start to 2019 that she can afford both in terms of ranking points and financially to come back only when she's absolutely sure. So, yeah, you know, throw her name in there as someone, like you said, no one's going to want to face. And depending on her draw, you know, she gets a few wins under her belt early. Forget the layoff. She's going to be, you know, right back to where she was, I believe. Yeah, I, I think this can certainly be very advantageous uh, for Bianca Andreescu having that long layoff and, and hopefully being very fresh for Roland Garros. And it will be a new experience for her arriving at a Grand Slam with a seed next to her name, which, as you know, is so helpful. You get into, inside that top 32 of, of seedings, and that really changes the shape of your draw and who you're going to face in the early rounds. And she's seeded uh, 22nd at this event, so that's going to be big for her as well. Uh, we've discussed Jeannie Bouchard and in in kind of terms of where is Jeannie Bouchard when will we see her back on court I don't know her status for the French Open uh as far as I know uh she's signed up to play uh I don't know if we expect her to play she recently split with the head coach Michael Joyce uh but to me if she does play uh I, I don't really have much expectation there Well, here's what I've learned with Jeannie over the years is you have to look at the social media to be able to decipher and interpret. you got to look for the signs. And so for me, when I was on Instagram, it was either this morning or last night before bed, and she posted something on Instagram, uh, one of those stories, which had her with her legs up on a flight uh, with the emojis of Canada uh, with an arrow pointing to the France flag. So to me, that's a pretty clear sign that she's heading over there, and I'd be awfully shocked if she was going to make that trip and not play the French Open. So, uh, again, this is obviously nothing official, but if you, uh, you know, follow the social media clues, it looks to me like she's going to play. And, uh, I mean, she hasn't played since March 18th in, uh, in Miami when she went out in the first round. She's got nothing to lose. The prize money, even if you lose in the first round, is something that uh, any player is going to benefit from, especially someone like Jeannie, who, you know, hasn't been, uh, you know, bumping up her career earnings too much in, in recent years. So, might as well go and, and give it a shot. Uh, hopefully she's feeling fit. And, and truthfully, I think then moving on to the grass court season is, is where, you know, potentially if she's going to rediscover her game, uh, you know, hopefully that's where it is. It's, it's remarkable. It's uh, coming up on five years since her Wimbledon final appearance already. Wow. Uh, just five years ago, she was in the finals of Wimbledon. Um, obviously, expectations and things have changed. But uh, as you said, uh, well done deciphering the emojis, by the way, on uh, Instagram, uh, that she has taken a flight to France. So all signs point to her playing for uh, the French Open uh, next week. We'll see if anything changes in that realm. Um, one player who is competing in qualifying at Roland Garros, and uh, I had the chance to speak with Canadian tennis player Rebecca. Becca Marie.
Marino coming off her first ITF title of 2019 and uh, the 11th of her career, a big victory in Karoom, Japan, uh, which should be a nice confidence boost before she begins uh, qualifying at the French. Uh, before we play that interview, uh, obviously we, we spoke at length last year about her tremendous comeback and Marino continues to take strides, which is just fantastic to see. Yeah, that just exceeded all expectations for me last year for Rebecca Marino, and I would imagine probably for her as well. It's such a wonderful story. Even if she'd come back and hadn't had the success she had, I want to say, what, three ITF title wins last year, which was just tremendous. Even if it hadn't gone that way for her, just to come back and feeling healthy physically and mentally, I think would have been a big bonus. And now to see her get her first title of 2019, rankings pushing its way up there. Really great to have her on the show. A wonderful story. And, uh, Let's have a listen, and then we can uh, dissect it a little bit. Without further ado, here is my interview with Rebecca Marino. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official tennis podcast of Tennis Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. I'm Ben Lewis, and very pleased to be joined by our special guest of the week, Canadian tennis player Rebecca Marino, who is coming off her first ITF title of 2019, a big victory in Karoom, Japan. First of all, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Really pleased to be on with you. Well, we appreciate it. Um, obviously, the media last season was was so closely tuned into your comeback to the tour after about a five-year absence. And now that you have a, a year of the tour life again under your belt, uh, what has been the biggest difference uh, compared to the first time around? Oh, my gosh. Well, um, I guess maybe a little bit of maturity has made me realize how much I, I love the sport. And, you know, a full year back in now, Um yeah, I think I've gotten used to the routine of the travel and, um, you know, with technology, I can I can FaceTime at home and, you know, catch up on everything pretty easily. So um, it hasn't been an issue at all so far. I'm really enjoying it. That's uh, fantastic. And uh, obviously mm-hmm. coming off a, a big result, um, you, you started in a way from scratch on the comeback slate and, and now you've worked your way back into the top uh, 150 with this victory in Japan. What really clicked with your tennis uh, this past week on court? Yeah, um, so it was actually my first time playing on outdoor carpet in Japan. So I my expectations were not low, but I just kind of went in just trying to enjoy trying out a new surface. And I think um, having that sort of mindset, but also I wanted to do well. Um, I think that combination really proved uh, proved to work. So I guess I just have to take more of the moment and just enjoy the process. And, uh, and now, of course, uh, it's it's probably going to be quite an interesting uh, transition because you've moved over from uh, playing on carpet in Japan and, and having a lengthy travel, and uh, now you're getting set for uh, qualifying at the French Open. Uh, your first time competing there uh, in, in several years since 2011. What type of expectations, if any, are you placing at Roland Garros this season? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm happy to even be in the draw in the first place. I wasn't sure when I was traveling here if um, I'd get in because I think at one point I was um, second alternate when I hopped on that plane and only yesterday found out I was I actually got in the draw. So um, just happy to be in the draw in the first place. But then, um, you know, it, it'd be great if I could win a round or two or even qualify. But I, I want to focus more like one match at a time and take it from there because I think that's a little bit uh, less pressure on myself I just want to enjoy being here and I worked hard to be here too so um, that's, that's all part of it 
And uh, yeah, I, I guess in that process of, of taking things sort of one match at a time and, and as they come and uh, you maybe hadn't been anticipating uh, playing and qualifying at the French Open, given, I guess, a return to the tour and now playing for, for a bit over a year on the tour, how do you set uh, sort of attainable goals as you go along in, in your season? Um, great question. I try to almost in a way have um, right now quarterly goals, um, whether that's a ranking or uh, performance-based. Um, so making a certain tournament like making the qualifying of slams or um, if I have Canadian tournaments like Rogers Cup, that would be something that I'd set my goal on and sort of walk into that. Um, so that's kind of how I've been taking the past year is um, setting those goals. And then if I make it, I adjust accordingly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's worked pretty well so far. And it, it, of course, was a great opportunity for yourself and a group of uh, fellow Canadians just this past April uh, getting to compete again in Fed Cup against the Czech Republic. Uh, despite the result there, obviously, you guys were, were heavy underdogs. What did you take from that experience uh, being around that Fed Cup atmosphere once again? And is playing in that team environment something you think maybe suits you pretty well? Yeah, well, for me, Fed Cup had always been sort of my, my favorite event. Um and especially after coming back now, um, I, I was on a team in university for rowing. So to have a team event in tennis again um, really brought me back. And I I enjoyed it so much. It's um, definitely still one of my favorites. So um, to, to play the singles as well was pretty amazing. Um, and then to have the dynamic with all your fellow country men and women cheering you on and cheering your teammates on, it's, it's a really unique and special event. And I hope I can play it again. And uh, obviously uh, the, the country right now in Canada has experienced, as you know, such a, an incredible boom in tennis the past few seasons on both tours <laughs> and, and most notably on the WTA uh, this season. We've taken a wide notice of Bianca Andreescu. Have you noticed, I guess, maybe in a different mindset or approach from players in this country in your return over the past year or so uh, compared with maybe your first in on tour? And what do you think has just uh, brought this on and how has really everybody clicking so well? Um, well, I think we have a lot of um, young athletes who have worked really hard to get um, in, in their position right now. So I'm, I'm super proud of everyone who's uh, on tour right now. But I also think that what's really unique is that um, all the players are friends with each other, support each other. Um, and I, I haven't really seen that um, in a long, long time. So I think it's really special and uh, something that we should be proud of is that, um, yeah, both the men and women uh, Canadian players on tour are just so supportive of each other. And, yeah, proud to be Canadian. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, we're proud to have you represent the country as as a tennis player. Uh, I imagine a lot changes uh, in, you know, six, seven, ten years uh, comparatively from, from when you first played, do you find the level of the, the game on the WTA has, has risen compared to your first time around? Uh, we've, talking at le- we've spoken at length uh, on this podcast about the, the depth that we see on the WTA. It just seems like there's so many great players. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of depth in the game. Um, you can come across any player who can give uh, top 20, top 10 uh, a run for their money. Um, so I think it should be interesting seeing how, how things progress uh, over the next couple of years as 
uh, more and more players come up. But um, definitely super exciting for the WTA that uh, they do have the depth like that. And it's a variety of different game styles too. So um, pretty fun to watch right now. It's an exciting time. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Canada and our special guest this week, Canadian tennis player Rebecca Marino. Uh, the conversation around mental health and mental health awareness has received, and, and rightly so, so much attention the past several years in Canada and more so worldwide. And in a way, you've become a, a role model role model by being so open with your experiences. Um, if you can maybe just touch base on on how you've how you've been feeling uh, just being on tour and, and do you like I guess sort of playing the role of role model if people have you have questions uh, about issues they may be dealing with yeah well um, I'll start by saying that I, I've been feeling amazing being back on tour um, I haven't doubted that decision at all um, and I actually had a few players come out to me this week and say that you know they hadn't seen me in about six years and that I seem like a totally different person and a much better place and that sort of thing so that was really um, reassuring that what I was feeling was also shown to other players. So, um, yeah, feeling really good about that and my mental health. And in terms of being a role model, it's not something that I've consciously sort of um, gone into, but it sort of happened just through sharing my story. And, um, you know, I think it's important that we continue to be open and share and have have discussions about uh, our mental well-being not just in sport, but across uh, across the board, like in the workplace or within family dynamics. So, um, uh, I mean, any way I can help people to just approach that topic is, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, um, you know, I think it'll eventually become a normal thing to talk about. Yes, it looks like uh, we're we're heading in in that direction now. Uh, obviously, French Open is on your mind because you're you're there for for qualifying, and you mention for goals. You, you try to maybe structure them uh, quarterly as the season goes along. Do, do you have uh, plans, I guess, for scheduling um, following French Open and uh, your your plans, I guess, for for the remainder of 2019? Um, yeah, so I was actually trying to figure that out. Uh, yesterday because uh, the entry level lines are coming up so um, I'm planning on playing grass um, and before Wimbledon there's some ITFs um, through the UK and um, that's where my plan is to play those as a warm-up to Wimby and then um, yeah hopefully come back onto the hard court um, in the summer for uh, I know we have some events in Canada and through the US so kind of go with that that's uh, the general plan so far. That's uh, amazing, and we'll uh, hopefully look forward to uh, seeing you at, at Rogers Cup uh, this summer in, in Toronto, if we can. Yeah, fingers crossed. I really want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Rebecca, thanks you, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the program this week, and uh, good luck in qualifying uh, at Roland Garros. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And there you have it, Canadian tennis player Rebecca Marino appearing on Match Point Canada. I found it interesting that she said her her favorite place to play actually is Fed Cup competing in that team environment. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, a wonderful uh, you know, addition to come back after this time and, and be thrown into the mix for, for Team Canada and give us some depth. I mean, if everyone's healthy, obviously Bianca is going to be the number one for us. The number two, I guess that's kind of up in the air right now. Could be Jeannie if she's she's playing well and getting matches under her belt. Could be now Rebecca Marino as well, uh, given that she's pushing into the top 150 again on the WTA Tour. To me, the big things I took from your chat with her 
um, are just that she's enjoying it. She's enjoying being in the moment. She feels great out there. She's really happy with her decision to come back. I mean, it would have been terrible if, if she'd come back and, and sort of not rediscovered her love of the game. So it's great to hear that she's enjoying it. And uh, obviously touching on the importance of mental health. And after what she's been through, she's not shy in terms of talking about that and being a role model, even if uh, maybe she doesn't recognize that she certainly is to young, uh, you know, boys and girls who are growing up and, and struggling with, uh, you know, all the competition and the pressure that comes along with it. And for fellow pros also to have someone that maybe they can go up to and say, hey, maybe you can, you know, uh, have a chat with me or help me out. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm going through some struggles as well. And the fact that she's so open about it, uh, I'm sure she would uh, be more than willing to chat with, with other players about it. So totally inspirational, wonderful for, for Tennis Canada and for fans of Rebecca Marino to, to see her back now. And uh, it was really great that she took the time to, uh, to chat with you today about uh, about those things. Yeah, and she was a, a pleasure to speak to, and I, I found it very interesting when she pointed out, being back at the French Open, that she had a handful of players come up to her and say, you know, it's it's great to see you here, and uh, you can tell how much her mindset has changed, and, and yes, how much she appreciates and, and loves the game again, and uh, she has so much comfort with her decision to step away from the game for, for five, six years, which is hard for a competitive player to do, especially when you're having success the way she she was having it, uh, you know, six years ago, getting inside that top 40. Uh, so she has a great perspective, uh, mature behind, uh, beyond her years and uh, keeps making strides now inside the top 150, which is just fantastic. And uh, it will be great if we can see her uh, this August at Rogers Cup. Absolutely. And, and one more thing I want to just add here before we move along to, uh, to the men's side of things is uh, w- what kind of transition this is going to be. Imagine going from carpet and an outdoor carpet, which, to be honest, I've never even heard of that. I didn't even know that was a, a possible surface on the tour. Yeah. But going from a surface like that to switching to red clay, I mean, this, is, this would be tough for anybody. Yes, it will. I, I'm imagining carpet plays fast. That's at least mm-hmm. how I picture it. Similar, similar to grass. And then we know Roland Garros, especially that clay plays slow. Uh, one thing she can draw on at least is uh, playing for Fed Cup this year with Canada against the Czech Republic. They did have that tie on clay, so she has played clay uh, this season, which is great. Also, uh, 2011 when she was last at the French Open, she made the third round, which is a really impressive result. Um, it may be a little bit difficult to build on a result from eight years ago, but it's a place she's uh, more than familiar with. And uh, like she said, she's she's not going to place any any great expectation. It's fantastic that she can compete in qualifying uh, to begin with. Absolutely. Great to see her back. Now, uh, if we move over to the uh, men's side and recap what happened in Rome last week, uh, we're back to, you know, what everyone is uh, always hoping for these days, which is having... Your, uh, you know, top two guys in the world, uh, Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal, facing each other in the finals of a big tournament. Boy, we've seen that happen uh, a record number of times. Those two facing each other 54 times, which is an all-time ATP record. And uh, this one was an interesting one. Uh, take us through what, what did you find, uh, you know, important from that, uh, that final uh, victory for uh, Rafa Nadal? Yeah, obviously, it's it's an astonishing historic rivalry uh, for two players to meet 54 times on the tour is just a staggering number. 
And more so staggering is I feel like they're going to meet at least five, maybe 10 more times before their careers are all said and done. I, I think for probably for Rafael Nadal fans, they placed a lot more importance on this match than Novak fans did. Uh, we had been talking, maybe at least the media had uh, ad nauseum the past few weeks of where is Rafa's clay court game? We were so accustomed to complete and utter dominance from him on this surface that we almost hit the panic button when he's only making semifinals and not winning titles. So he gets his first clay court title and, and first title actually of 2019 beating Novak six love four, six, six, one. It was an interesting match because to me, Novak was kind of running on empty for a lot of it. He had been through a couple of grinding three set matches. Juan Martin del Potro pushed him to the brink. Diego Schwartzman did as well. And he had of course, two matches in one day, which a handful of players had midweek uh, due to a rainout. But Nadal breezed through his couple of matches, uh, winning handily. And Novak had to grind out a difficult win over Juan Martin Del Potro. So obviously, you had a fresher player in Rafa Nadal who got more rest. Uh, I was surprised he actually dropped that second set. Uh, but to me, he needed this win more than Novak did. And uh, getting that title in Rome, heading to your stomping grounds at Roland Garros, that pencils him in for me at least as the the favorite to win the French yeah indeed and I mean for how many players would three semifinals and now a tournament victory be considered a disappointing clay court (laughs) swing like only for Rafa Nadal would we ever consider that and he dished out a heck of a lot of bagels in that uh, tournament in Rome including one to Djokovic which to me was super impressive I mean you're right Djokovic definitely spent more time on court over four hours more than Rafa which certainly would have played into it um, now, I mean, he's got a, a chance to, to take a week off and, and recover before Roland Garros begins. Um, also, I want to mention how lucky were those fans on the Thursday of action that got to see Roger, Rafa, and Novak all play twice. I mean, wh- when does that ever happen? When will that, maybe never again, that you get to see all three of the greatest players of all time uh, go at it in one day? Those Those ticket prices that they were going to bump up on the Wednesday for Rogers return. I mean, the Thursday turned out to be uh, an epic day of, uh, of incredible proportion. Yeah. The crowds were absolutely electric too. Roger Federer played a, a three set thriller with Borna Chorich and survived. And I've never heard an atmosphere like that, at least at a masters 1000, maybe to grand slam. Sure. But for a masters 1000 event in Rome, uh, the fans were adoring Roger uh, and kind of willed him to a victory there. It was, it was fun to see him back on the clay surface. Uh, I think he was a little white, out after playing those two matches on the Thursday. You're right. I, I doubt we ever see that again. All three of them playing two matches in, in one occasion on one day at, at an ATP Masters 1000 or any event rather. But uh, it, it was a fascinating tournament. And Novak Djokovic, I, I don't think he's going to have any trouble uh, recovering and, and being ready for the French Open. Uh, but all the talk now is about these two and a potential final uh, coming up at French Open. Is there anybody in your mind who's going to get in the way? Well, Dominic Team is, is truthfully the only one that I see having the, the abilities to do so, and not just because he made the finals last year, but he's had multiple wins over Rafa on clay, so he knows he can do it. He had one earlier this year in, in Barcelona. It seems like each year he's good to at least beat Rafa once. And, uh, you know, he's gone 9-3 and three on clay, which is pretty uh, respectable. Lost in the semis in Madrid to Novak, but he beat uh, Fanini and Federer there. That match to Federer was closer than anyone anticipated. But let's be honest, you're going to have some nerves going up against uh, Roger, no matter if you've beaten them before, including earlier this year on hard court. Uh, but I put Dominic Team up there, and I, I put him as a guy who's going to win the French Open 
at least once before his career is over. I mean, Novak and Rafa are going to retire at some point, and, and team still is but 25 years old. So I, I think he's definitely capable, and it all is going to come down to, you know, how much time do these guys play, uh, you know, leading into when they finally face each other? Are they able to stay healthy and be 100%? I mean, Rafa was saying he's finally happy that he's just feeling, you know, uh, 100% fit and, and playing his game again, and hopefully that continues. But you just never know what's going to happen, either in practice, in training, as we approach in a tough five-set match at some point at Roland Garros. Uh, but to me, team is one you put up there. And other than Novak and Rafa uh, and Dominic team, I'd be shocked if anyone else uh, won the French Open this year. Yeah, I, I think we have a very short list of three players. I, I think we have some fringe players on the outside of those three who could certainly do damage. Uh, players like Stefano Tsitsipas certainly comes to mind. Uh, Stan Wawrinka, I don't really know what to expect, but he's won the French Open before. And I was very impressed actually this past week by Juan Martin Del Potro, who is actually defending semifinal points at the French uh, it's almost like we kind of forgot about him this season because, of course, he missed the Australian Open. He didn't start his season until Delray Beach, but he held match points against Djokovic in that quarterfinal uh, in Rome and, and missed an easy forehand and, and kind of coughed it up in a way. When he's healthy, uh, to me, he can be the most dangerous outside of the big three of, of Novak, Rafa, Roger. Yeah, and that's the problem right there is when he's healthy. I mean, I, I feel so bad for this guy. Because, you know, he showed so much promise back in 2009, winning the, the U.S. Open. Uh, and, and just, you know, the amount of time he's missed, lengthy time, with these frustrating, long, you know, putting him on the shelf injuries for a, a, a great deal of time. For him to come back every time and have such positivity, it's incredible. I don't know. He should, like, bottle whatever it is that he's, <laughs> he's drinking to, to feel that way. And, and even again, you know, late last year, another, another injury after you think he's been through everything, give the guy a break after all his troubles with the wrist. So uh, you're, you're right. He's, he's got that ability and potential and belief in himself, but unfortunately his body just doesn't seem to want to cooperate. If he'd had a little more match play, I'd certainly put him up there at the French, but best of five, I just, I just don't know if he's going to be able to take it quite yet at this point, but certainly pulling for him. And I don't say that about too many athletes. Definitely. There's a bit of a disconnect when you're in the media, but how can you not look at Juan Martin Del Potro and want to see the guy do well, want to see him at least have another chance to potentially capture a major before he does have to, you know, for good, hang up the racket. Yeah, he's the absolute uh, gentle giant of the tour and such a fan favorite. Still just 30 years old, but feels like a lot of mileage uh, just on his body given uh, mm-hmm. the, the lengthy time off with those serious wrist surgeries. He thought he would never play again, so it's incredible that he's here um, and competing so well uh, at the events he plays. We have to talk about, uh, you know, not really the Juan Martin Del Potro gentle giant of the tour. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you would call or label kind of the bad boy of the tour really Nick Kyrgios, um, he was in Rome and actually had a nice start to his tournament, uh, beating a tough player in, in Daniel Medvedev. Um, look, we, we've, we've discussed Nick Kyrgios and his attitude towards tennis, but I was not anticipating uh, the brutal forthright honesty uh, he laid out in, in really a tell-all sit-down podcast interview with reporter Ben Rothenberg. Kyrgios held no punches at all when discussing the top players. He had pointed words about Novak. He said he can't stand Djokovic. He called Nadal his polar opposite and also said he was, quote, 
too salty when Kyrgios beats him, uh, which was to me definitely a reference to their latest duel back in Acapulco. Uh, he said Federer is the greatest of all time. I don't think that statement will drum up any controversy, but uh, Kyrgios uh, had a lot of pointed words about top players and then the following day had a meltdown on court through a chair, was defaulted, conceded his prize money. What did you make of this interview uh, with Ben Rothenberg and, and what do you make of Nick Kyrgios, the player, the person? Gosh, I hardly know where to start on this one. We could do an entire episode on Nick Kyrgios, but I think a lot of people would be saying, you know, you're giving the guy too much attention. He doesn't deserve it. And, you know, they probably wouldn't be wrong with that assessment. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who, and, and I don't want to, you know, make light uh, of, 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 of what he's potentially going through. He might be dealing with some mental health issues uh, himself, some legitimate ones. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but he doesn't seem to be in a, a, a right frame of mind to go off and, and sound off on three of the greatest players, greatest champions, three classy guys in my estimation, Roger Novak and Rafa, uh, and, and say some of those things. So it's just mind-boggling to me that he would go and do that, but he almost can't help it. And we almost can't help but you know watch as if you're driving down the highway and you see a car accident, mm-hmm. everyone seems to slow down and take a look. You almost can't help doing that regardless of how you feel about Nick Kyrgios. I was surprised the interview even happened because obviously uh, many people are aware Nick and Ben Rothenberg had a bit of a feud uh, going on on social media themselves over the past two years. But, uh, you know, and there's a lot of people that said, well, you know, Rothenberg baited Kyrgios into those answers and it was really, you know, low-grade journalism. But look, professional athletes have to know that they're going to get questions at all times where reporters are looking for answers or looking for newsworthy, uh, you know, uh, items that will attract people to their writing and their personality. And, uh, you know, they're trying to carve out a career as well. So I don't fault Ben on this one. Uh, you know, you've got to be more aware and responsible of what you're going to say. You know, in this day and age, something like that is going to go absolutely viral. And maybe he intended for that to happen too. I mean, he, he was letting it all out there. He likes getting a reaction. He doesn't take himself too seriously, so I don't actually know how seriously we can take a lot of his answers. I mean, look, he had me laughing a couple times when he says Novak Djokovic can't be the greatest player of all time because no player who can't beat uh, Nick Kyrgios can be considered <laughs> that. I mean, he's making fun of himself to yes. me more than he's making you know light of, of Novak and his worthiness as a, as a great champion. So... I don't know. I think overall, maybe people on the one hand need to lighten up a little bit. But at the same point, Nick is not doing himself any favors. And uh, he certainly got a lot more growing up and maturing to do. And it's a shame because I've seen him up close with his fans. He's terrific. He's great with little kids, having them out on the court to hit with them. But then he goes and says stuff like this, which, of course, is going to be eaten up by, you know, the younger crowd, teenagers and whatnot who are listening. And it certainly doesn't sort of set the right uh, kind of uh, role model, um, you know, behavior that we would like to see from our professional athletes. I think he uh, really is content on branding himself with the sort of love me, hate me type of personality uh, that he really kind of bared his soul in this interview and said, look, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And we're not used to that in tennis. Um, I don't particularly love it. I do find him to be such an entertainer. He's such a great shot maker. If you get a match between Kyrgios and Djokovic or Kyrgios and Rafa, uh, or him playing Federer, he brings 
his A++ game. He, he reaches another level. It's those matches where you feel like he should win is when you don't get the result. He was at least self-critical in this interview, I felt. Uh, he, he called himself the least professional player in the top 100. Uh, it was, certainly wasn't a good look when he said uh, in Acapulco he was partying till 4 a.m. every night and still managed to win the tournament. Uh so it almost it almost makes you sad in a way, like how much talent this guy has and isn't putting in the work, isn't putting in the effort, doesn't love the sport. Um, you know, it, it's it's really unfortunate in a way. Uh, but I, I suppose I'll give credit to him for his brunt honesty, which we don't always get from athletes. And I think that was sort of the point. Yeah, and he's not the first bad boy to come along either. I mean, look, Agassi was no angel when he started out. Johnny McEnroe was uh, what we all know about him. Imagine if social media and podcasts had existed back then. I think we would have got some pretty juicy stuff out of those guys also at points in their careers. So, you know, Jimmy Connors also, who turned into being like the beloved, you know, at 39 years old, having his epic run to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. So who knows? There's still time. And I know people listening now are going to say, oh, come on, the guy's a bum, he's a jerk. But that was said about other players who turned their careers around, who had success on the court, but also ended up having success off the court and finding ways to endear themselves to fans. And Kyrgios is still very young, so perhaps that opportunity uh, exists for him. But right now, whenever he takes one step forward, it's like 10 steps back. So who knows what what happens next for him. Yeah, and he certainly had the the implosion the next day on court against Casper Ruud, uh, throwing the chair and conceding all prize money. So we'll see what transpires with Nick Kyrgios. Uh, not much expectation for Roland Garros, but uh, he should be there competing. We will wrap up with some Canadian news. Uh, Milos Raonic, as I understand as well, intends to play Roland Garros at this point, which is quite surprising. Uh, he would hold the 15th seed. Uh, look, he, he hasn't had any clear court tune-up and it's it's not his best surface if he does play what, what do you think the uh, approach or mindset here is sort of just uh, get ranking points and see how the game is heading towards Wimbledon well I mean hopefully to me it's a sign that he's itching to get back on the tennis court and uh, he's 100% healthy he must be if he's going to come back and try it out on try his body out on clay uh, but he must be just so excited to get back to the court that he doesn't want to wait for the grass court season so to me that's a positive that shows that he's hungry and wants to be back out there He's got nothing to lose, really, in terms of what our expectations are. So uh, why not give it a go? But it does seem a little odd. Why not just hang on a little longer, come back on grass, which is really your, your main surface, uh, you know, where you're going to excel, and, and don't take any risks on clay. But I guess he must be feeling fit and ready to go. So we'll see what happens. Maybe he gets a good draw and can win a couple of rounds. Uh, again, the prize money is pretty great, even if you're a player like Milos. You know, you win a few rounds at a Grand Slam, and that's going to be a nice boost to the bank account. So... Happy to see him back, and uh, yeah, no, uh, no expectations really, though. Yeah, and he, of course, didn't play the French last year, so maybe that's some motivation there of uh, getting on court, seeing, seeing if he can win a few matches, not only the prize money, but it might help out his ranking uh, heading towards the grass court season as well. But uh, crucial that he plays Roland Garros if he does and uh, escapes healthy uh, leading into his his peak point of the season for me. Denis Shapovalov got one win at Rome before losing to Novak Djokovic. He's competing at the Lyon Open in France, uh, getting a tune-up. So is Felix Auger-Aliassim. Uh, of course, these guys are the young guns. I have no concerns about their health, uh, and I think it's great for them to play a tune-up right before Roland Garros starts. Yeah, why not? And Felix already off to a win over John Millman, which is good. He plays Steve Johnson next, the uh, veteran American. I think that's a very winnable match for Felix. 
And then in the top half there, uh, you know, Sanga perhaps, who's going up against Canadian uh, Steven Diaz. What a great uh, moment for him to beat uh, Bernard Tomic and get some nice uh, ranking points there from a player who's uh, sort of on the cusp of the two, uh, 250 mark on the ATP Tour. For Dennis, I mean, uh, you know, he's gone one and four on clay. So clearly, uh, you know, he hasn't sort of built on his semifinal Madrid appearance from a year ago. But again, clay for Dennis to me is a surface he's got a long way to go in terms of building his game up. Mm -hmm. So why not get in a few extra matches, hopefully, you know, at least a couple of matches uh, here in in Lyon and and see what, what that does for him. But Felix, to me, on the men's side amongst Canadians, He's the guy that's got a shot to, uh, you know, potentially make it to the second week in Paris if he gets a nice draw. Yeah, and uh, even just at the age of 18, he considers him as, uh, himself a threat uh, right now at the Leon Open as someone who can, can win th- that event. Uh, if you think about who's in that draw, Nicolas Basilashvili holding that top seed. Uh, Roberto Bautista Good, I know he's a, a tough player uh, really on any surface. And then you have other names like Cuevas and Benoit Pair mixed in there. But it is a pretty open draw. And we look at his clay court swing, how he did in South America. It is not out of the realm of possibility of him making a, a push towards the final, and who knows, uh, snagging a title that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, and you know what, this guy, like the sky is the limit in 2019 in terms of what he can do with his ranking. My goodness, he's already in the top 30. The season isn't even half over yet. Almost everything he does now, playing in these ATP events, is going to give him rankings uh, a ranking boost. He could, you know, get into the top top 20, top what, close to the top 10, depending on what he does this year, which is just incredible to think about considering where he started the season and how to most of the world outside of Canada, I'd say, you know, this is uh, quite a surprise what he's been able to do. Yeah, it's uh, been certainly unbelievable. Uh, Last episode, we mentioned Rogers Cup ticket giveaway, and uh, we're going to do another giveaway this week. Before we get to that, though, I know, Mike, uh, we were planning on picking a winner from last week's episode uh, to attend Rogers Cup in Toronto. Yeah, so we had put it out there last week that anyone who retweets any of our Match Point can on Twitter uh, tweets about the episode uh, with uh, George Belshaw and Tim Mayotte and follows us on Twitter would get entered into that draw. So we had a healthy turnout. Now, I did disqualify any media members from uh, <laughs> from being eligible here for fear of uh, reprisal from our listeners. Yeah. So we've narrowed it down to uh, you know regular tennis fans who tune in, and we certainly appreciate uh, you know listening in every week. Thank you. Uh, so, Ben, I've got the list. I'm not showing it to you. And I've written down numbers next to all the uh, qualified uh, listeners. So if you give me a number between 1 and 25, I will announce who that uh, lucky individual is who's getting tickets to the Monday daytime session on August 5th here in Toronto this summer. Okay. Should I do like a, a drum roll on my desk here? I don't know if uh, listeners can hear that. Let's try number six. Number six. Okay. Congratulations to Sonia. Uh, Sonia, who has actually, she's liked a lot of our stuff on Twitter over uh, the the months, even before we officially became the Tennis Canada podcast. So I'm happy to see one of our longer term listeners get this. Uh, I will reach out. We will reach out to Sonia via a Twitter to arrange mail out of those tickets. So congratulations. And we've got two more that we're going to put out there uh, this week. So same deal. If you retweet on Match Point Can on Twitter uh, this week's episode, and follow us on Twitter as well. You will qualify yourself for two tickets to the evening session of the Rogers Cup in Toronto on Monday, August 5th. 
Fantastic. So uh, please get out your likes, retweets, follows, and uh, you'll have a chance to win two tickets for Monday, August 5th. And congrats to uh, Sonia for winning the first pair of tickets uh, from last week's episode. Uh, I guess that's a wrap on episode three. We were so pleased that uh, Rebecca Marino could join us as the guest for for this week's podcast. And uh, next week... We will have a a full draw of the French Open, which will be getting underway, and we can do a a full preview and really break things down. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, Grand Slams, to me, like I'm pretty sure everyone, that's what we live for is these four times a year when you just live, uh, breathe, eat, you know, wake up at odd hours of the night, especially if you're here in North America, to catch these Grand Slam matches. So looking forward to breaking down the draw on the men's and women's side in more detail with you next week, and uh, looking forward to everyone tuning in uh, as well. You have listened to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590. And find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. We will talk to you next week.